the series. For today, though, you got your Bibles open to Romans 8. I'm going to fly because we're talking about life is. The reason we're talking about life is, is everybody in the room has a philosophy of life. You can fill in that statement somehow. Life is, and how you fill that in tells me your philosophy of life. Romans 8 is just Paul saying life for somebody who has attached their life to Jesus. Life is a certain way. Life is about certain things. The whole book of Romans is all about life attached to Jesus. Romans 8 is kind of like the climax of it. He's like, this is the greatest chapter because what he says is, I want to tell you what life is when you attach your life to Jesus. And here's where we're at today. And I'm going to fly, so I hope you can stay up with me. But look at verse 31. I want you to see this. Paul, at the end of this, we've been four weeks in. If you haven't been here, go online and check it out. Paul says this. What then, verse 31, shall we say in response to these things? Begs the question, what things? Paul's saying, what should we say in response to these things? And the these things that he's talking about is all the things that we've talked about first four weeks. That's what he's saying. And what Paul has said first four weeks is this, is that in this room right now, this moment, there are two kinds of people in this room right now. And only two. Paul's clear about that. Those who are in Christ and those who aren't in Christ. Not those who are in church. That's what I'm saying. Not those who are good and those who are not good. He's saying those who are in Christ, they've said yes to Jesus. They've placed their faith in Christ and those who aren't. And what Paul has said up till now is for those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, life is certain things. First, life is freedom. For people who are in Christ, life is freedom from the penalty of sin Life is freedom from the power of sin, not only that, but life is belonging to the family of God. I can go into God's presence and say, Daddy. So he says, life is freedom, life is belonging to the family of God. Everybody lean in. He says, for those who are in Christ, you ready? This caught us off guard. Life is, you ready? Life is hard. Can I get an amen on that? Can I just tell you something? For those who are in Christ, life is hard. This morning... Uh, it kind of caught me off guard at 8.30 as we had the little commissioning prayer for, for Joel. Uh, at 8.30, I, I had a hard time, which I didn't expect. The reason I had a hard time was because yesterday afternoon, I spent several hours with a family walking them through one of the hardest things that I do as a pastor. And I didn't have answers I sat right here with a dad who lost his son yesterday. I sat right here with him this morning before all y'all came. And I walked with him through this struggle who he is somebody who loves Jesus, has helped tons of people in their relationship with Jesus. And the fact of the matter is life is hard. Life is very hard sometimes. But last week we learned this, that life's hard, but God is, ready, good, In this mysterious mystery called life, life is hard, but God is good. And here's what Paul does, and I want you to see this because it's going to make sense for us as we flesh this out. Paul ends that little section almost with this theological outburst. It's like, does that make any sense? He says this. He says, for those he foreknew, right? Now stay with me because I'm going to lose some of you, right? But stay with me. Those he foreknew, like what? He predestined, and those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. It's like, what in the world does that mean? All Paul's doing is this, please lean in now. He's saying, I want you, if you're in Christ, to be able to make sense of your life. 
And all Paul is saying is this, I want you to make sense of your life because sometimes life doesn't make sense. We look at our life like this little part of this rope. Our 70, 80 years on this earth is what we focus on. And this little black part represents 70, 80, 60, 100 years, wherever you're at in that. And when we look at life, that's what we focus on. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes we don't understand. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. And sometimes the dots don't connect. And sometimes, sometimes, and we just like focus here. And what Paul is saying is for those in Christ, our life is just not that black little part of this rope. But we have a God who literally in eternity past foreknew What does that mean? That for those in Christ, God set his affection on you before the world was even created. That your life is not simply this little rope, but that your life is somehow attached to eternity past when God set his affection on you. And for those in Christ, he predestined that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So that those he predestined sometime in this little black dot, he called. Some of you know when that moment was when God called, he leaned into your life. For some of you, that moment is right now. You're like, I'm not sure why I'm here. God knows. And for some of you, this is the moment he's calling because for those he called, he justifies. He declares them not guilty because he loved them from eternity past and those he justifies, he loves into eternity future. That literally with all of creation, Romans eight says, we stand on our tiptoes and we look at what God is going to do. And that this little black dot on this rope is only part of our life as God sees it and he foreknew us and he will finish what he started. That's what Paul wants you to know. And it's almost like, stay with me, it's almost like Paul's done with a sermon. It's almost like, okay, that's good, man. They kind of like sing and let's leave, right? Like, like, can you get any better than that? It, it, it's like Paul is at the end of the sermon, but Paul's a good preacher, Right? Because he's going to go long. He almost can't help himself, right? He's like, I got more to say. There's so much more I want to share because what Paul wants us to do is to respond to everything that he said. He knows that somehow this needs to go from a lesson to living. He knows that somehow all of this needs to go from simply being a doctrine we know to somehow doing in our life. He knows this needs to go from preaching a sermon to practically living. That's what he knows. And he knows that everything that Paul has said in Romans 8, everything, everything he said in Romans 8 is the answer to your fears. It is the solution to what you're worried about. It is the remedy to your guilt. And it's the anecdote to your insecurity. And what Paul does, you might not know this, but Paul was a good lawyer. Did you know that? And he ends Romans 8 like a good lawyer, not a good preacher. And he ends, you ready? Look here, with four, four closing arguments. Four, he says, what shall we say in response to all this? And then he gives us four closing arguments, and I want you to lean in and listen because I think they're power-packed. The very first one is what he says next. Romans 8, 31, look what he says. If God is, say the next two words out loud with me, if God is what? Four, that was terrible. Okay, let's try it again. If God is what? 
for us. Who can be against us? The very first closing argument that Paul wants us to see is this. I want you to write this down on your notes somewhere. If God is for me, who in the world can be against me? Listen, Paul is not saying you won't face opposition. That's not what he's saying. Paul is not saying there won't be people who are, who are against you. That's not what he's saying. Paul is not saying that there will not sometimes be circumstances that kind of come off the rails and you'll feel like everybody's against me. Life is opposed to me. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, if God is for me, if God is for me, then who really can be against me? Because God is for me. He wants you to know that. It makes me think of, it makes me think of my dad. Some of you maybe had dads like mine. When I was a little kid, I, I thought there was nothing my dad couldn't do. Anybody have a dad like that? I mean, there was nothing he couldn't do. Like I, when you're a little kid, you're like, dad can do anything, right? And so when you go with dads, they're like, I weren't afraid nothing, right? And, and I thought my dad could fix anything. You have a dad like that, right? Give him a little duct tape and a screwdriver. My dad can fix anything, amen? Yeah. And, and my dad, I wasn't afraid when my dad was with me. I thought my dad could fix anything. And I wasn't scared somebody wanted to oppose me. In fact, something you, I never have shared, you may not notice, my dad was a ping pong champion. Raise your hand if you like ping pong. Raise your hand, anybody? My dad could beat you. I'm sure of it, right? <laughs> my, my dad was so good, man. I, it drove me, like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I like ping pong. But, but my dad, he's right-handed. He'd play me left-handed and beat me. It drove me nuts. Man, he had these spins and he knew exactly where to hit it. My dad was incredible at ping pong. I didn't like playing against my dad. He always beat me. But you know what I loved more than anything? I loved the fact that we had this ping pong table down where a bunch of us teenagers used to gather every Wednesday night. And you know what? We'd have that ping pong table and we'd want to play doubles. And every once in a while when my dad would come down, guess what I would do? I'd say, hey, dad, you want to be my partner? And then I'd talk real big, amen? I'd say, I'll take anybody on. And all of a sudden people would come up and they'd want to play me in ping pong. And here was what I thought. If my dad is for me, who in the world's ever going to be against me? Now listen, listen. You know what Paul's saying? He's simply saying this, God is for me. And it begs the question, what God what God? Ping pong champion God? No. What Paul is saying in Romans 8 is in the context of the entire word of God. And so when he says God is for me, he's saying the God of the Bible. What God is that? That is the very God that the Bible says he is the God who spoke and he created the universe we see that he is the God who created the galaxies that we measure in light years, which by the way is 5.88 trillion miles. He created the galaxy that we're a part of called the Milky Way, which is 100,000 light years from side to side. That's 100,000 times 5.88 trillion. You do the math and get back with me. And then he created the millions of galaxies that we're not part of and some that we're still discovering. He is the God that Isaiah 40 says holds the waters of the earth in his hand. Which waters? The Atlantic, the Pacific, the Indian, the Gulf of Mexico, you name it. He measures the heavens that we measure in light years with the breadth of his hand. He sweeps the dust of the entire earth together into a basket while weighing the great mountains of the earth, the Himalayas, the Rockies, the Appalachians on a scale to get their weight. He 
is a God that can palm the earth with his hand. He's the same God who split the Red Sea. He's the same God who slayed the giant for David. He's the same God who showed up in the fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the same God that Caleb believed in, even though the rest of the spies wouldn't. He said, because God plus one is a majority. Which God? That's the God he's talking about, the God of the Bible who's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. Is there anything too hard for that God? No. Anything you can teach that God? No. Anywhere that God isn't that you can be? No. That's the God he's talking about. Ping pong, anybody? (laughs) But that's not the only God he's talking about. He's talking about the God that he's been talking about in Romans chapter 8. And you can't miss that. Because what he's saying is in the context of Romans 8, he's not just talking about an all-powerful God, but he's talking about a God who literally has set his love on me from before the creation of the world. A God who does love me right now. And a God who will love me forever. Don't miss this. And what we learned last week is this, is even those who work against me, that God uses what they work against me to work for me for the good of something sometimes I can't totally comprehend. See, what Paul is simply saying is that God is for me. Who in the world can really be against me? He doesn't stop there. He has something else to say that I think is important for some of us to hear. Romans 8, verse 32, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I want you to write it this way. Here's Paul's argument. If God gave us his most prized possession to save me, why in the world would he withhold his best from me? Let me me explain it this way. You know how many of us in the room, we determine, we determine, here's how we determine that God is for us. You know how we do it? We're just being honest, right? We look at our circumstances. Everything's going great in my life. God's on my side. Everything seems to be falling apart. God's what? I don't think God's for me. And what Paul is saying, you do it, I do it. Come on, let's just be honest. What Paul is saying is, listen, take your eyes off those circumstances, put your eyes on the cross. Because when you put your eyes on the cross, all of a sudden you realize that God did not spare his own son. God the Father did not spare his own son in order to give me what I could never afford. Let me help you make sense of that. Some of you live in Doylestown. Let me, let me hear if you live in Doylestown. Anybody in the room? Yeah. Five of you. That's awesome. I like it, right? What was happening in Doylestown, if you live in Doylestown, was this. I think they had a community-wide yard sale day. Anybody go to that? Yeah, amen, right? Yeah, community-wide yard sale day. My neighbor was part of that, and he came over. He needed to borrow a table and this, that, and everything. And I sat on the porch, and we're talking, and he, we're, we're talking about yard sales. Any yard sale lovers in the room? You love yard sales, right? And uh, I said, hey, so you're going down there? Yeah, we're going to take a table. We're going to put some stuff out. He said, I'm going to put some stuff out because if I can get people to pay me for junk I'm going to throw away anyways, I'm going to do it. That's what he said. Can I get an amen on that? That's what a yard sale is, right? Don't look at your wife right now. I'm just saying, right? (laughs) Right? But every once in a while, you with me? Every once in a while. Everybody look here. Every once in a while. You ever watch American Pickers? Anybody know something? Every once in a while, somebody comes along and there's that lamp that you used to throw the football around or there's that table you put your old dirty socks on. 
And they walk around, they're like, I'll give you 20 grand for that. You're like, say what? Like, I've been in our out, what? Why are you gonna give me 20 grand for that? Because you don't understand, because you haven't seen it this way, because you've been playing football with it. But that's an antique, that's a treasure. And all of a sudden, I can begin to understand something about that lamp by virtue of what they're willing to stay with me, pay me for it that I didn't know before. Everybody look here, I wanna tell you something that maybe you didn't know before. God, you ready? God, God has more invested in you than you do. That's what he's trying to tell us. He's saying that God has more invested in you and I than any of us in this room. That the father willingly gave his son, the son willingly gave his life. He invested his most prized possession to save me. Now here's the kicker. Why in the world then wouldn't he take care of his investment? If I'm gonna pay you 20 grand for your lamp because it is a prized possession, you think I'm gonna take it to my house and play football with it? <laughs> Probably not. Here's what Paul wants you to know that he did not spare his own son in order to purchase for us not just, ready, our salvation, but to secure for us every spiritual blessing possible in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 says it this way, look at this. Praise be to God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before creation of the world. That's eternity past. To be holy, blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us. Why? Adopted as his sons through Jesus in Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption. We've been bought, right? Been bought through his blood. Forgiveness of sins. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the power of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I love that word. You get the idea that God really didn't do this reluctantly. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The point is this, is that he spared no expense to purchase our salvation and to secure our blessing. It reminds me of a story that I read. It's about a Russian immigrant who came here to the United States in about 1911. I'm gonna try to pronounce his name, is that okay? I'm gonna butcher it, but y'all don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm gonna just do it, okay? But his name is Peter Deneka. Can we do that? Peter Deneka, Russian immigrant who fled to America in 1911 to escape the communist revolution. Became a Christian shortly after arriving in Chicago went to Moody Bible Institute and was then powerfully used by God in both America and Russia to bring tons of people to Jesus. He tells a great story about his escape from Russia. His parents, in order to get him here, had sacrificed everything to get him a boat ticket to America. Everything. He got on the boat with virtually nothing, no money. All he had was a knapsack with a few clothes in it. His mom had stuffed some stale, stale bread, hard bread into his bag for him to eat on the journey. 
He said that throughout the journey, he would often look in on the dining hall. This is interesting to me. Wishing that he could have some of the glorious meals they were offering in there. Some of the soldiers noticed that he was looking in the dining hall and they told him that if he helped them with their work, that he could eat what they ate, which by the way was still very meager portions, gruel and hardtack, stuff like that, he said. But it was at least more than the moldy bread that I had been eating. He said it wasn't until the last day of the trip that he realized that along with the purchase of his ticket to sail from Russia to the United States was included. Three full meals a day came with the purchase of the ticket. He said, because I couldn't read what was on the ticket, I failed to enjoy all that was purchased with the price of the ticket. Listen, everybody, look, look here. If, you, if you're in the room and you're in Christ, if you're in the room and you're in Christ, when Jesus died for me, he did not just purchase salvation from my sins, but he secured spiritual blessings for me as his son. I am a son of God. I have a seat around the table. I have complete access to the Father. Paul has said, I am a co-heir with Jesus. Mind-blowing. And what Paul is saying is, be sure to read the ticket Quit walking around on the ship of this life like all Jesus did was get me a free ticket to heaven, but oh dear. He said, read the ticket. Live in light of all the blessings that he secured for you in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is this. If Jesus didn't spare his most prized possession to save you, why would you think he would withhold his best from you? Which leads him to say something else interesting. Verse 33, he says, all right, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What's he saying? I want you to write it this way. He's saying, if Jesus is my judge who was judged for me, then who can condemn me? I see the room is full of teenagers, young adults. I want everybody to lean in, but if you're a teenager, young adult, I want you to lean in for the next five minutes. I want to talk to you. Something I want you to start out your life in Christ knowing. John chapter five, verse 44 says that Jesus is given authority to judge all mankind. That's what he says. Literally, what God wants us to know is that all of us will stand before Jesus as our ultimate judge. That's what he wants us to know. But for those, you ready? Here's the key. For those who are in Christ, we will stand before Jesus as the ultimate judge. And when our eyes meet his eyes, we will recognize he is not just the judge, but he is the judge. You ready? Who already took our judgment. That's why there's no condemnation. Athanasius, early church father, says this is something called the great exchange. I've explained it to you before. Maybe you've been here when I've done it. That literally the picture is this, that all of us, me, you, all of us, stand before the judge of all mankind. We stand wrapped in the dark robes of our sin, 
the rags of our own righteousness, there's sin and, and, and the things that we've done and thought, we stand before the judge, Jesus the judge, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his purity. The judge in this picture is standing in the pure white robe of his righteousness. And as I stand before that judge, the one who always makes the right judgment, I recognize that I am a sinner. And there is nothing I can do on my own about my sin. And that's where the gospel comes into play because the minute I say yes to Jesus, the way the great exchange, Athanasius says, the way it happens is this, as the only one who is able to judge me gets up and comes around and he takes the cloak of sin off of me the minute I say yes to Jesus and places the robe of his righteousness on me. And then he takes the cloak of my sin and he walks it right to the cross and that's why he died. The only one who's qualified to condemn me pronounces me righteous in Christ. That's what he's saying. You know what he's saying? So where I want the teenagers to listen up. Young adults, listen up. You ready? If he made that exchange for me, if the God of the universe made that exchange and I stand undeservedly in the righteousness of Jesus while he takes the rags of my sinfulness, ready, ready? Why in the world would I ever make an exchange with what he's given me? That's what Paul's saying. He's like, you stand in the robe of his righteousness. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, no one, no one can condemn you. You know what he's saying? I'll just put it this way. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to take off the robe that he placed on me in order that I might place on the robe of your judgmentalism in my life. I refuse. But you know what I think Paul knows? You know what I think Paul knows? that the person who condemns me more than anybody, are you with me? You know who that person is? Me. And I think what Paul is saying is this, is that if I stand as the recipient of this great exchange, why in the world would I exchange the robes of his righteousness for the robes of my guilt and shame and condemnation? You can't condemn me, I can't, heaven's in Christ, even God can't. You're like, what? Even God can't, you know why? Because he's gracious, yeah, because he's loving, yeah, because he's just. And he can never secure two payments for the same debt. Because here's what Paul wants you to know. Jesus took my sin, went to the cross, they killed him, he died. What happened next? Whew. Rose from the dead. What's Jesus doing now? What's Jesus doing now? He rose from the dead. Like, what's he doing? Just kind of waiting for us to show up? No. Paul says he's interceding. 
You know what Jesus is doing now? The one who took my sin to the cross is literally, let's go back to the courtroom, literally standing there beside me because when I'm in Christ, sometimes I sin. Anybody with me? When I'm in Christ, sometimes I sin. And John says this in 1 John, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all wickedness. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That's Jesus. He now is my defense attorney who pleads our case before the Father. Guys, this is mind-blowing. The one who took my sin to the cross, he rose again, he defeated sin, and now in the courtroom, he stands. And when I come and confess my sin before God Almighty, Jesus literally as my defense attorney says, what shall we do? Jesus just holds out his hands. There's scars right there already been done. It's covered. And Paul wants you to know this if Jesus, my judge, took my judgment. Who's going to condemn me? I ain't going to wear your robes of judgmentalism. I'm not even going to wear my robes of guilt and shame. That's what he's saying. He doesn't stop there. This is where he lands. It's almost like he explodes and then we're done. Verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Why does he ask that? Everybody look here, because sometimes it feels like we're separated from the love of Christ. Anybody with me? Sometimes it feels like it. Is anybody with me? He says, shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? He said, as it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. He's just quoting from Psalm 44, a song. But look at verse 37. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, death, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to write it this way and then we're done. Paul says, if nothing can separate me from God's love, what do I have to fear? Why does Paul say that? because sometimes we can feel like we're separated from the love of God. Everybody look here a second. Everybody look here. Sometimes we relate to God, like us guys in the room, we relate to, to God like, like we did when we were in grade school with that gal that we liked. Some of you didn't grow up in the country, so you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But when there was a gal that you liked and you weren't sure what she thought of you, some of you don't know what God thinks of you. What you did in the country, I can tell some of you are city people, right? In the country, here's what you did, right? You'd go out in, in, in the field and you'd find a four-leaf, five-leaf clover. Anybody with me? You know what you did? You started picking that thing. She loves me. What was the next thing? She what? Loves me. You always got to start on the right one, right? You want to end right, right? And so we'd pull out like, oh, she loves me if it landed just right. Oh, she loves me not. And some of us, that's the way we deal with God. He loves me. Everything's awesome in my life. God loves me. I'm in the presence of his love. Everything's wonderful. Kids are great. Circumstances, job, everything. Boom. The bottom drops out. And he loves me not. For some of us, it doesn't take much. 
I know you probably don't struggle with this, but for some of us, it's just like we're, we're tired and we lose our keys and can't find where we put something important and, and, and the day is packed and, and we're like, everything's against me and I think God's saying, and we think God doesn't love us and for others of us, it's not the trivial, it's the tragedy. Sometimes in our life, things happen and what he's saying here is not a feeling, it's a fact of faith. I sat with a man this morning right here who lost his son yesterday. And those verses in preparation of today were up there. And I watched him quote them out loud through tears. I don't think he felt them, but he embraced them. You see, sometimes our circumstances are the very thing that cause us to somehow think that we've been separated from the love of God. But for some of us, it's not our circumstances. Can we just be honest about this? For some of us, it's not our circumstances. You know what causes us to think we're separated from the love of God? It's our sin. Some of us that say we are in Christ, here's the way we think about it. When we sin, when we fail, when we come up short, we think God doesn't love me anymore. And what Paul is saying, everybody look here, he's saying, no, follow the logic. Follow the logic. The God who loved me from before the creation of the world, eternity past, the God where I can't even see where that thing goes, loves me now, and that God who loved me and loves me will love me. He's saying, I cannot be separated from his love. But it feels like, I know, it's okay to feel what's real. What Paul is saying, when it feels like it, That's when I need to run into it. See, for some of you in the room, this is a hard teaching because you you maybe grew up and you heard the terms eternal security and things like that. So you have a hard time with this. It's not just a theological teaching. It's rooted in our understanding that the love that we cannot earn, listen close, the love we can't earn, I can't somehow unearn. How how in the world does that work? God's love for me is rooted in his character and his love for me is unconditional and that's hard for me to get my head around. You know why it's hard for me to get my head around? Everybody look here, everybody look here. Because we're not wired that way. You know how I know you're not wired that way? Everybody look here, I'm gonna be mean for a minute. Can we do that? Can you handle that? Because you're Browns fans. (laughs) In one minute, you're like, woo! And then it just takes one or two games, like, I can't believe, right? It makes me think of one of my favorite players. Anybody recognize that dude? His name's Eli Manning, quarterback for the New York football Giants. Played quarterback for New York Giants, and they won two Super Bowls. If you don't know anything about football, you cannot win a bigger game than that. In those two games, guess what he was voted? MVP, most valuable player. You know what New York thought of him when he was MVP winning Super Bowls? Yes, he's our hero, awesome, woo! He could probably walk in anywhere and they'd pay for his lunch. I mean, he is the guy. This year, they've off to a bad start. 
Guess what? Instead of, go, Eli, go, Eli, he's the guy. Guess what he started to hear? Boo. Until eventually, guess what? They took their Super Bowl MVP and they what? They benched him. You see, the reason this teaching is hard is because we think God's like us. We think God's like us. And listen close, God's not a fan. God's not some fickle fan. But God says, I am a forever loving God. I don't have a short love, I have a long love. And I cannot do anything to make him love me more. Some of you need to hear what I'm gonna say. And I can't do anything to make him love me less. For some of you, you've never run into that love for the first time. And this is the moment. You're here on purpose because this is the moment the God who's loved you forever, he's calling you right now. But, but Pastor Dan, do you know what I've done? I don't need to. Do you know what I've been a part of? I don't need to. You can share it with if you want, I, but I don't need to. God knows. He says, I love you. And I sent Jesus to die for you. And this is the moment some of you need to, you know, like, well, do I have to do something, Dan? I, I probably should come to church a few more times. Maybe I should know more about the Bible. And he says, no, no. What you need to do is run into my love. Run into my love. There are others of you, you've said yes to Jesus. And you know what? Your whole Christian life, you know what? You've lived afraid of disappointing God, running from God. You've lived afraid that somehow you're gonna, you're gonna flippantly run right out of God's love. And what Paul is saying is, there is nothing that can separate me from his love. Everybody look here a second, then we're done. This is life changing. It is life changing. I want you to know that this morning. I'm gonna invite Aiden to come out. We're gonna sing a song at the end so nobody leave. Love for you not to leave. This is life changing. You're saying, why is this life changing? Look here, I'm gonna tell you why. Because if this is true, ready? Okay, everybody look at them. They're a lot cuter than me. Now look at me. All right, I get it. I have this problem everywhere I go with Aiden. Everybody's like, well, man, okay? And then here's the deal. Everybody look here a second, okay? Look at the bald guy. I got something to say to you because it, look, look here. If this is true, that means this. I do not have to live for God's love. I can live from God's love. And do you guys see what Paul says? Don't miss this. When I'm in Christ, when I'm in Christ, He says this, this is what in tears, I sat with my friend this morning and he quoted in tears. And he says, no! Almost as though to speak against what he was going through. And he said, no! And all these things, the good things, the bad things, death, life, fear of the future, the regret of the past, the the worry of the present, angels, principalities, said, we are more than conquerors. God's plan, everybody look here, is not that you just survive what you're going through. That's not his plan. That is not his plan. He's not looking that you just survive. He says, we are hyper conquerors. He uses a Greek word. He says, we are more than, it is more than that. We thrive because when we are in Christ, even when we don't feel it, 
the very things that threaten to separate us from his love are the very things that drive us deeper into an understanding of his love. That's what he's saying. My friend says, Dan, I don't understand it. I said, I don't either. Dan, I'm not sure how to go on with it. I don't either. Dan, I'm not sure why it happened. I don't either. But this I know, I am convinced, he said, that nothing, nothing will separate me from the love of a God who would not spare his own son. Save me. the very answer for some of us in this room not only is it the things that threaten to separate us that drive us into him but listen, listen, listen it's my sin that sometimes threatens to separate me for some of us in the room when, when, when things go wrong we're like well, I gotta hide from God I gotta run from God I gotta somehow work on myself and then come back to God and when I understand what Paul was saying I realize that even in my failure even in my sin even in my challenge that is the moment when my father says nothing Dan I saw that I knew that I'm already there with you that's the very time I run into a love that is profound unconditional everybody in the room I'd love for you to bow your heads for a moment we're going to sing a song because God I count it a privilege to be in Christ but I gotta believe there's some of us in this room that aren't and I don't know your story and I don't know but maybe you've never said yes to Jesus right there in your seat why not say God I believe you love me God, I believe you love me so much you sent Jesus to die for me. This morning, this morning, I want to say, yes, Jesus, I want to claim you as my Savior and follow you as my leader. And some of you are just like my friend. You're in a moment of deep darkness. You're in a mo- You're a follower of Christ, but you're like, right now it's hard. And right now, almost in a voice of opposition to the one who wants to destroy, say, no, I believe in all things we are more than conquerors because I'm convinced that nothing, not even this thing, not even this feeling, not even this circumstance can separate me from the love of God, this long love of God for me. So God, I pray as we sing this song that we would sing it with meaning, inspiration, but even opposition to the one who would want to convince us that somehow we can be separated from a love that is long and beautiful and profound. Let's around the room stand as we sing together with Aiden.